0: here we are, I think Thomas is very brave asking me to speak, because the last time he asked me to speak it was a rise and you weren't here, were you? and I had Tyron up as Jack Lemon, not Jack Lemon, <laughs> in a mask and everything, so anyway, it's going to be a bit more sensible this morning. Um, so we are looking at Exodus 18, and something might appear in the back, but we are having some technical problems, so we're just going to work with that. Um, so I'll read it, am I a bit loud, or is that Okay. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And after Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. And One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land, and the other was named Elisa, and he said, my father God was my helper, and he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, and Moses' father- in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped in the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, and said, "I, your father-in-law Jethro, are coming to you with your wife and your two sons." So Moses met him and, and so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they greeted each other and they went into the tent And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships that they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. And Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that God had done for Israel in rescuing them and the hand of the Egyptians. And he said, "'Praise be to the Lord who rescued you "'from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, "'who rescued the people. "'Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, "'for he did this to those "'who had treated Israel arrogantly.' "'And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. And the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people he said, What you're doing isn't, isn't good, it isn't right. Do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening?' And Moses said, well, the people come to me to seek God's will, and whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work's too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. And then a bit further along, in verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So we're looking at this chapter, and as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking about the fact in our house we are really into Australian MasterChef. Anyone else seen Australian MasterChef? Was it just us? (laughs) So it's very different from the American MasterChef or the British one. And you have 24 contestants who are all competing to win this $250,000 prize. But a lot of the program is really about the journey, so it's about the people that come alongside The contestants and what happens in that process, and a lot of people, even though they don't win, still go on to do great things, actually, because of the process. And I felt that while we're looking at this passage, that God wants us to see these people here and what they're doing as kind of mentors. They're like people that come alongside us. You know, they have something to show us. They've already been there, and they have something to model for us. And all of us need people in our lives, don't don't we? People to help us grow and flourish. And do you know that God brings people into your life to help you grow and flourish? And I was thinking about the fact that Moses had met with God face to face, but in this chapter, he brings his father-in-law along to help him on something. And, you know, although God is able to speak directly to us and to intervene directly in our lives, he does choose to bring people across our paths. And part of that is a sort of humbling process, isn't it, that we accept that? And when I was growing up, there were some key people who were really important to me as a, a young Christian. Um, some of them were youth leaders who ran a Friday night youth group. There were people who just opened their home, just had me around all the time, just kind of shared their life with me. And the people who have influenced me in my work have just been helped me to come on. And people who still speaking to my life today. And I am really so grateful for all of that and for the, those people. So, I thought we 'd have a little look at the two characters, the two main characters. so we 've got Jethro, and he is introduced to us in Exodus 216 as a priest of Midian, and Midianites were descendants of Abraham, so they had this kind of history in God, but actually, where they got to is that they were worshipping now a multitude of gods, so they had their faith in God, but they also had lots of other gods alongside. Jethro had seven daughters that 's pretty impressive. Um, he was the father-in-law of Moses, so he gave his daughter Zipporah in, fa- in marriage to Moses. And when Moses had left Egypt, it was a Jethro that sheltered him, that brought, took him into his house. We know that he owns sheep because Moses is looking after them on the edge of the desert when he comes across the burning bush. And we know that Jethro respects God's voice because when Moses has this encounter with God, he goes and he speaks to Jethro and he talks to him about it. And Jethro basically says, go do it. You know, if God's meeting with you, go do it. So Moses, we've got Jethro. Moses is the other character in this chapter. So Moses was born as a Hebrew, but he grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. So he had this kind of humble beginning, but he was actually growing up sort of as the son of the king. And so he had obviously got used to that sort of lifestyle. He's used to having all his needs provided, being treated like royalty, having great privilege. Um Moses, he also though has a a real sense of injustice, doesn't he? So he gets into trouble because he sees an Israelite being beaten up, and he go he goes in there, and then that means he has to leave. Um, And on that process, as he leaves Egypt, he meets with God in the desert in an amazing way. So Moses has two sons that, that were mentioned earlier. He's described as a friend of God, and he's faced a lot of difficulty. So he's faced people grumbling, he's p- faced people speaking against him, people wanted to go back after they'd come out of Egypt, and they wanted to stone him. Uh, so he'd, he'd actually been through quite a lot as a leader of these people. He would stood before Pharaoh and everything that that involved, and obviously being brought up in Pharaoh's house, he would have known as well about the other side of Pharaoh, which was, you know, you didn't, probably didn't take much to upset him and to lose your life, and he had faced that and, and been before Pharaoh he'd received the ten commands from God and he's led people through the Red Sea so there's a lot isn't there going on for Moses that he could have easily used to feel that he didn't really need to listen to anybody any particular person in his life and one of the big things that I felt in here was that there's wisdom for us in his humility um, and a bit further on in the Bible in Numbers, it speaks about God, uh, sorry, Moses being more humble than anyone else in the earth. And I was thinking, well, what does that look like? You know, what does that look like here? So one of the first things that struck me was that Moses listens to his father-in-law when he, needs to say, he says he needs to do something different. Um, the other thing that I really love about this is the way they just seem to value each other. So in verse seven and eight, it says that he went out, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and they went into the tent. There's just a real love for one another there. The other thing about this is that he's really honest with Jethro. So a bit later on in that in that verse, it says that Moses... Ooh, hang on, let's find that verse. Um, yep, so he, t- he talks to Jethro about all the things that happened along the way. And all the hardships that they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. So he he speaks about the things that have been good, but he also speaks about the difficulties. So he's really kind of honest and upfront about what's happened. And Moses could easily have felt, couldn't he, given what he'd been through and given who he was, that he didn't need to listen to anybody. He didn't need particularly to share his heart with anybody. I mean, he was Moses after all. Um, But Numbers 12, which is a bit further on. I've got my little bits in here. gives us a little insight into a bit of a different um, approach to things so Moses is really humble but he and Moses in, num- in Numbers 12 we get a different story one day Miriam and Aaron were criticizing Moses because of his Cushite wife and they said has the Lord spoken only through Moses hasn't he spoken through us too um, but God heard them And that's almost like the opposite, isn't it, of what we see in the Jethro Moses thing? You've got pride coming in, you know, people questioning really well, who is this guy? You know, surely God's spoken to us as well. And God steps in and he speaks to to them and he says, Look, Moses is mine. Who are you to speak about Moses? He's mine, he's family. And the opposite of humility is pride. It's when we become more concerned about ourselves and we kind of become a bit puffed up with our self-importance. But the Bible says that God opposes the proud. So humility is about looking for the best in others. It's about being compassionate, forgiving, and realizing that only God knows a person's true motives. So I love the fact that there's this beautiful picture here of humility. And if you're going to join a church or if you're going to get alongside other Christians, the thing to look for is some of these things, people that value each other, people that are prepared to share their lives, be vulnerable and honest, and also people prepared to run with something that isn't their own idea. So sometimes, you know, if people say, look, we're going to do this thing, you know, we really feel God wants us to do this thing, the thing is just to get behind it even though it might not be your thing. <laughs> and, you know, that, there's real humility in that. The other thing that I loved about this passage is just the wisdom in acknowledging the presence of God. And in verse 12, it says, ooh, let me look it up. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, bought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel, and they ate a, they ate a meal in the presence of God. And this is something that God's really bringing back in church, we've been singing about it this morning. Um, that idea that God is present with us and that he wants to make his presence known and I thought I've got a little catchphrase for this in fact even Tara might have come up with this that the presence of God is for life not just for Christmas <laughs> and the idea is that you know it's not just for special times it's not just for special occasions but actually God's presence is for life and when God walked with Adam in the garden the beginning it says that he was there wasn't he walking with him his presence was there And when Moses earlier on parted the Red Sea, God was there, wasn't he? God's presence was there doing that miraculous thing. And here, as they're just eating their dinner, the presence of God is there. They're just doing it in the presence of God. And I I just love that. And I think that God wants us to know that he's not just around for special moments, special occasions, but actually he wants to do life with us. And he wants also to listen to, he listens to more than just what we're praying, but he listens to our conversations and he looks at our lives. And I don't have time to go into some of these passages, but if you look up Isaiah 58, which is a passage about fasting, God's main problem with the people is that they are doing this religious thing, but their lives aren't matching up with it. And he says, how can you do this thing? Keep asking me for that. Well, all of this other stuff's happening. So God says he wants our lives and our conversations and our prayers to match up. It's like a triangle and when those things match up, there's a real power in that. And one of the things that Jethro does here is he worships and I think worship is another key way in which we can acknowledge the presence of God. And uh, for me, I love to just put a CD on or something or my iPod on in the kitchen and just worship God when I'm cooking. I like to pray when I'm walking the dog, that's a good one for me. I just put things on in the car to listen to. I might put a podcast on or something because I believe that God is speaking and he wants to speak to me and if there are people who are seeking God to speak then it's just giving God that opportunity. So that's, that's what works for me. The other thing that I thought that was real wisdom in this chapter about, was just knowing the goodness of God. And it was great, again, thinking about that this morning. Um, and this was brilliant. So I was looking at this, Exodus 8-9. It says, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that God had done for Israel and rescuing them. Um, and the other word for delighted is rejoiced. And apparently in the Hebrew, another way of saying that is that he had goosebumps. And I love the idea that he gets goosebumps looking at what God's done he comes and he sees all these people camped out, you know, and that have come out of slavery. He sees, th- he knows the fact that God's parted the Red Sea and the hairs go up on the back of his neck. Um, and the other thing about Jethro, you know, I said he's from the Midianites. So he had all these different gods, uh, they had all these different gods going along together. But actually, in this moment, he sees something differently because Exodus 11 says, um, Now I know, this is Jethro, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. So he actually has this kind of light bulb moment as well, where he suddenly realizes that God is greater than all other gods. Um, And that's something which can happen to us sometimes when we're least expecting it. We might not be a Christian, and suddenly God comes and he, he wants us to know that he's real. And he wants us to know that he loves us and that he wants to walk with us and do life with us. And if you're already a Christian, God still wants to give you moments like that. He wants to give you light bulb moments, moments where he comes and he encounters you and he gives you a fresh understanding of something. Um, and my story really was that I wasn't brought up in a particularly religious family, but my parents used to send me to church. And through my contact with the youth group, I ended up in a meeting in London called New Heart for the Nation. And at that meeting, I remember sitting there hearing what I thought, I'd never heard before this idea that Jesus died on the cross for me and I remember having this kind of goosebump moment but actually it wasn't particularly comfortable either it wasn't like a ah this is amazing I was like sitting on the edge of my seat battling with what I was hearing and thinking about the fact that I did really believe it but I also just didn't want to really show anyone that I believed it and do anything about it. So sometimes in those moments, there's actually a bit of battle that goes on as well. Um, And I, I just wanted to ask you, when was the last time that you had a goosebump moment around something God was doing? Now that might be either in your own life, or it might be in the life of somebody else, or just something that you see going on in the world, and it makes the hairs stand up on the back of your neck. And... God hasn't changed, has he? You know, the same God who split the sea is the same one who's here with us this morning. And I was thinking about that. I was just going through this yesterday thinking, wow, that is just amazing, isn't it? That the God who split the Red Sea is the same one that we're asking to be present with us this morning. And I, I've got a little clip. I think we need to show that at the end. And we said, we'll come back to that. The final thing is... Not necessarily from this passage, but it, it comes from this story, and it 's wisdom in knowing that the story is still being written and these stories you know sometimes we look on at them, we read them, we know the outcome don't we and it 's easy for us to think, oh yeah, we know what happens there, then the Red Seas part, and they come through, and it 's almost like we know the end result, and it 's easy to take it for granted. Um, but actually, there was a lot more risk for the people at the time because they didn't know what the outcome of that adventure or that story was going to be. And the pitch that I had, which has come up a bit today about running, <laughs> is the idea that Jethro and Moses, you know, they've run well. They're like these mentors. They've run well, and they have buttons which they're handing on to us. And the challenge is, are we running or are we just spectating? Because sometimes it's easy just to become like a spectator, isn't it, in our Christian lives. We can get excited about things, we can see that things are good, but the difference between a spectator and a runner is that there's a risk for the runner. The runner has personal sacrifice, a personal journey, and a personal involvement in the race. A spectator might be excited, they might cheer on the football team, but basically they're there on the side rather than being there in the race. And you know, God never forces us, does he, to do anything? He never forces us to do anything. He he always wants us to choose what's right. And Moses, he chose the desert. He chose sand. And this wasn't like sand in the beach, this was sand in the sand. Um, He chose uncertainty. He chose heat. And I was thinking about a tent. I don't know if you've ever been in a tent when it's hot. This was tents in the desert. I mean, it must have been just sweltering. He chose grumbling people. That's a difficult one. Servanthood, risk, danger over temporary comfort, plenty, financial security and being served. And in that way, in that way he was a forerunner for us, wasn't he, of who Jesus was. Because Jesus gave up heaven and everything that was there for him, all the glory of it, all the security of being with his father and he came to be born as a baby and he gave up everything to death. And it was the ultimate exchange, wasn't it? He exchanged that for us so that we could have life. And um, Hebrews, which is another great chapter, if you get the chance to read it, talks about some of these heroes of faith. So this is like a reflection looking back on what God's opinion is of some of these people. Um, Let me just look at the thing, 24. So this is what Hebrews says about Moses. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be treated as the grandson of the king, but chose to share ill treatment with God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought that it was better to suffer for the promised Christ than to own all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the great reward that God would give him. And it was because he trusted God that he left the land of Egypt and wasn't afraid of the king's anger. Moses kept going ahead. It seemed as though he could see God actually there with him. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I just love that. And then a bit further on in that Hebrews 11 passage, it talks about lots of other, some of these other heroes in the Bible and it says, and of all these men of faith, although they trusted God and won his approval, none received all that God had promised them for God wanted them to wait and share the even better reward that was prepared for us. And this is in a slightly different version. Not one of these people, including including Moses, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us. I mean, isn't that amazing? All of this stuff that we read is pretty amazing, but it's saying here that God has a better plan for us. That their faith and our faith will come together to make a complete whole. That their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. And I was just kind of, I was just taken with that whole idea that actually, there's actually a better plan now that God has because of Jesus. And that, that actually their faith isn't complete without ours.